Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Big Apple Hockey, the main show in the Hockey Troy Forest is back again tonight. And it's great to have it because we the smaller shows just doesn't feel as good. These always feel like the better ones. I am, of course, am your host, Mark Williams, who is longing for home ice advantage and also needing to figure out how exactly to manage a beard. I haven't done it that often in my life. And the host of the final buzzer, Mr. John Fulkowski. All quit in New York. Yeah, it hasn't exactly looked good. But can't really say all quit in New York when game five, the proud recipient of a win in, on the road in Carolina, Mr. Anthony LaRocco. We have life. We have life. And something tells me there's going to be a lot of life in the building on Friday night heading into game six. Yeah, and there's they're not going to be able to contain that. It's It's going to be... There's going to be so much energy just pouring out of that building that you give them another shot at this. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, the crowd's going to be loving that. But let's get right to the A block today as we look at what happened first last night as the, the New York Islanders forced game six. And with the 3 2 win, Matt Barzell, Brock Nelson, Pierre Engvall's all score, Ilyas Sorokin. 34 saves. And as you said, Friday night, game six of this series. So, Anthony, short and sweet, will there be a game seven? Yeah, yes. I think I think unequivocally. Um, you know, the Islanders laid an absolute egg in game four. Um, they played well for about the first five minutes. They got a, you know, in my opinion, was a little bit of a BS goalie interference call on Parise. And like, what, 30 seconds later, Pollock took the penalty to make it a five on three. The Canes scored. And for whatever reason, the Islanders couldn't recover after that. It wasn't the same game. The Canes dominated. Islanders didn't have much uh, compete level after that. Um, and, you know, like I said, they, they laid an egg. Um, the Islanders historically play really well at home in the playoffs. Um, I don't see that happening again in game six at UBS. I think it's going to be more similar to what it was at game three. Um, I think it's going to be a much more spirited effort for the Islanders. Uh, I think they have new life. I think they, you know, they obviously realize what's at stake here. And I would just be surprised if they dropped another game uh, at UBS. And of course it could happen. I, I just, I think they're going to play. I think they're going to play one of the best games, hopefully um, of their, of the season and playoffs here on Friday. Uh, and all you got to do is get it to a game seven. Cause I got to tell you, if it goes to a game seven, all the onus is on the hurricanes. You're talking about the second best team in the East had a stranglehold three, one on, on the Islanders and they let them back in it. So if they can get to game seven, it's a toss up. And that's what it is really in every game seven. When that occurs, it's a toss up. It's winner take all. So the Islanders just have to get there first, obviously, but, um, I think they are going to get there and, uh, you know, the hurricanes, you know, just are going to have to try to take care of business at home if there is a game seven. But uh, I, I am pretty confident that they are going to get there. Phil, what do you think? I don't think the Hurricanes are that good of a team. Um, I don't think they – I think they've played better than the Islanders at certain points in the series. But <laughs> I, I just think that the Islanders have momentum after tomorrow night. I picked, I picked the Islanders at seven. I, I'm standing by that pick. I think it'll still happen. Um, I don't trust their goaltending, Carolina. I, I just, it's not good. 
just not good. Rods has let up some bad goals in this series, just like he let up last year to the Rangers. Um, they The Islanders have a clear-cut advantage in that. The, the only thing I'd worry about with the Islanders is their ability to score. Um, they've shown at times where they just don't have the ability to score, and um, they've they haven't generated enough. I would say at five on five, um, or and the power play has just been abysmal um, for them. In power play, if it comes down to a special teams battle and it comes down to power plays, I don't like it for the Islanders. I, I will say that Carolina's power play has been better um, in this series, but it's still not great but it's a better power play than what the Islanders are boasting right now. Um, I, I still think you need more from Bo Horvat, who really has kind of been a ghost in this series, if you ask me. Um, Matt Barzal had a couple of moments where he's had some goal, uh, nice goals, but, I mean, it just – you want more from him. Brock Nelson's been your most consistent and complete player up and down the lineup. Um, I – just certain guys on defense that I, I would not be happy with. I mean, Noah Dobson, I, I'm looking right at you. You're, you're supposed to be this cornerstone defenseman, and he hasn't played like it at all this series. So, um, from the Islanders, uh, you know what? They better come prepared. You know, Friday night, this they need to be from the opening faceoff. They need to be the better team from start to finish in order to force that game seven because Carolina, they've been there before they've closed out teams. They, they understand it. Um, they got to the second round last year and they, they're, it's a, it's a veteran group and it's a well-coached group at that. So the Islanders just better be ready. They, they better be ready to go from the opening face off and they just, they better start hitting everything that moves, um, making Carolina's life hell getting out of their own zone kind of giving Carolina a taste of their own medicine, if you will. Here's one problem I have with the idea of Carolina winning game six. And I'm trying to think back in their history. Hopefully Pete can chime in over here and let me know. But I, I can't remember the last time Carolina won a road playoff game, especially a closeout road playoff game. Because if you don't count the bubble – I guess it would have to be the the double uh, the is double overtime versus Washington. That would be it. That one the one the one that was in Washington. That was the last time they did it, and it's like they just tend to always kind of. I don't want to use the term dog it on the road. They tend to home ice advantage never favors them. Now getting back to what Phil was talking about with Auntie Ranta, Auntie Ranta is he's just he's a guy that when he plays too much. You can't play him in a seven-game series. He wears down. And mentally, maybe not physically, because there is a physical component to his game where he usually gets an injury or something like that. But, I mean, Antti Ranta, just, he, he's, gonna, he's just going to wear down. And let's say, for instance, he comes out and lays an absolute egg in game six. Are, is is his job safe for game seven? We know Ilya Sorokin's going in net for the Islanders. We know what the Islanders are going to throw at them. But are, are you really going to go to Pietro, uh, Piotr Kochekov for a game seven? That's just, no, it's, it's, not gonna, it's not a good situation. They have to win game six. And I still don't see any, any way that they're absolutely going to do this. And, uh, and this is even with all the Islanders struggling. Like a lot of them, manager of the fourth line kicks in a goal in, in game six. 
Imagine if the third line gets going. Really, the, the only line that's humming is the Palmieri, Nelson, Ingvall line. And that's the one that's going. So hopefully, hopefully the Islanders can keep it riding after that. Uh, there was a lot of scathing words from the man down at the bottom on his notes last night about a certain defenseman. We're going to get to him in a minute in the bar talk segment. But Anthony, uh, just what could, uh, I guess, what could possibly go wrong tomorrow night? Or, sorry, Friday night. You're muted. Is that, is, that, is that a serious question? What could possibly go wrong? I mean, they lose. That's what could go wrong. I mean, but the lead to them losing. What? <laughs> what? What would go wrong that would lead to them losing? I mean, listen, I think the team the team that scored first uh, has, I think it's 5-0 and oh, uh, this series. So, um, you know, the, the Hurricanes uh, are a hard team to come back from. So, you know, if the Hurricanes were to get, like, in game, uh, in game four, like how they got an early lead, 1-0, 2-0, um, that would be the worst-case scenario. But... Um, again, you know, I, I don't, I don't see it playing out that way again. Um, but it is important for the Islanders to get the first goal or maybe even the first two goals uh, on Friday night. Cause, um, you know, at the same time, the Islanders are a hard team to play against when they have the lead too. So, um, if the Islanders get, you know, a multi-goal lead, let's say two goal lead, you know, even three goal lead, um, I, I think, you know, that the hurricanes are going to have a really hard time coming back from them, especially, you know, in the hostile atmosphere of UBS. So, um, but yeah, I, I think the Islanders need to need to score first. The crowd's going to be into it, you know, get in there, play the body, get the first goal and uh, the place will erupt. And I think, and then just kind of go from there, but um, I'm expecting a, a spirited effort. And one, one thing I have to say is Brindamore has largely outcoached Lane Lambert this series. He finally did something that I, I agreed upon last night. He switched um, Barzell not playing with Horvat anymore, and Barzell was playing with Pajot because then that forced the Hurricanes to make a decision. Okay, well, do we still put Jordan Stahl out against Horvat or Barzell? Um, so he split them up. Um, and needless to say, I mean, it kind of worked. Barzell had a goal. Um, so I think that was finally one of the first good coaching decisions that Lambert's done this series by switching that up. But um, I, listen, and obviously having the, the last the last change at home, um, that will be big too. Um, you know, so I I think, you know, really, I think really all points to this coming down to a game seven. Um, I think the Hurricanes blew a, blew a chance to close it out yesterday. They didn't do it. And, you know, I, I think, you know, this series is going to go back to a game seven in Carolina. And uh, like I said, from there, it's just toss up, winner take all. So I guess for the Carolina Hurricanes, we could just tell them this. You blew it. But <laughs> yeah, um, I mean maybe. Yeah. yeah, it's it might it might come down to that. Well, you know we'll have to see. And you know one thing I noticed about the Hurricanes is you know if they do get by the Islanders, I think regardless if it's the Devils or the Rangers, maybe more specifically the Rangers, I think either, both those teams are gonna would take Carolina and ran round two. The Hurricanes, similar to the Islanders, they have trouble scoring goals. You know they do have a lot of key injuries. Pacioretty. Uh, which Svechnikov, which we all know about, but Tara um, Vinen now. Yeah, Tara Vinen. Uh, Drury didn't play last game. He's out. He shut down Sebastian Aho, 
chances are you're going to win the game. So um, the Hurricanes struggle to score goals, and that's what the Islanders are trying to do. They're just, you know, they're trying to limit Ajo's chances, but he's a really good player. You know, he's still he's still scoring goals, putting up points. But um, if you if you shut down Ajo, chances are you're going to win. You're going to win the hockey game, and uh, that's why I think if the Hurricanes do get past the Islanders, uh, I think you know the, the Rangers will kind of <laughs> spit them out. Um, and same thing with the Devils too, because the Rangers and Devils are much more offensive team than the Islanders. Um, so I think that could be a little problematic for Carolina, but, um, anyhow, obviously let's hope doesn't get there. Hopefully the Islanders are the ones advancing and they do have a glorious opportunity here, um, by getting them back in the fight. Phil, just one uh, question before we get away from the Islanders. And that's, do you think that disallowed goal, uh, on the power play, uh, I, I even forgot who it was. I think it was, I don't even think it was Seth Jarvis. Uh, Aho found somebody at the back, the back post on the power play. That disallowed goal completely changed everything, right? It got the Islanders, who led for the first time in 25 playoff games. How is that possible? It just it happens. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's Nason. Uh, Thank you out here, but it, it's. You know the any any type of momentum swing, especially when it's it's a it's a two goal swing where one team has a, a disallowed goal and another team ends up scoring a goal. I mean, I always look back at that that two goal swing with Jeff Cortnall and I think it was Game Six of the ninety and Mark Messier. Yeah, Jeff Cortnall, Mark Messier, and then everybody thought Messier had the goal. Cortnall had put one in and went off the back bar and went out straight out. Went down the ice, reviewed it. Courtnall's counted. Messier's got wiped out because of it. You know, those are major momentum swings in games, and it, it just—it's a gut punch. It really is a gut punch when something like that happens. So yeah, it, it definitely took the sales out of uh, Carolina for them to have a disallowed goal in the Islanders just to to take the momentum from there, and and you know you seize the game, and now you're you're back, you're back in this series. Uh, it's it's three two, so you still have you know it's it's not you're not totally there yet, but you know you're you're alive. You're fighting to you're you're living to fight another day, and that's really what the objective is for the Islanders right now until they get to Game Seven, and then when they get to Game Seven, like Anthony said, who knows what the hell will happen? Did did, did anyone think the Rangers were going to kick the crap out of Carolina last year in Game Seven? No, no, I didn't. I thought that was going to be a close game, and here I was with you at Boss Croakers having a laugh fest at that team and listening to Ray Ferraro, you know, cry about uh, Carolina not being able to get back into the game. I mean, the, the, the call he had on that heat goal, never mind. Like <laughs> you, you sound more upset that Carolina was going to lose that game. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes uh broadcasters points of view will get out there, but uh, we're all expecting, we all predicted uh, a game seven to begin. And I think we're all expecting a game seven, uh, right now, and then, you know what? I'm I'm still going to stick with Carolina and seven because I'm not sure if they're going to lose two of them. I just and wanted to, I just wanted to uh, comment on this quick. You know, that's a fair statement, but he's got to remember that game too. We all agree that missed high stick on Mayfield is one of the most egregious non calls that we've seen in a while that led directly to an overtime winning goal. So if they would have called that penalty, which I'd say 10 out of 10 times they do. 
who knows? That game may maybe goes differently. So I don't know if you could say it deserves the you know the Canes being up three two is is deserving because the Islanders got robbed that game. Who knows? Well, speaking, what of, speaking about getting robbed, Anthony, we got robbed being able to talk about that because you get the people that say, well, Mayfield lifted the stick, and that's what ended up clipping him in the face. But you're also responsible for your stick, so you shouldn't. You, so, you can't be doing that. Uh, the linesman and the ref, as you pointed out, that they had a clear view on that. So, so it's funny I, you mentioned that because, about Mayfield lifting a stick because just uh, just today um, there was an article on the Athletic. Um, I don't know. I, I forget who it was now. I don't, I don't know if it was. I don't think it was Down Goes Brown. I think it was somebody else. But it was just an article about the the officiating so far in the playoffs. And they talked about, you know, some of the egregious calls in Minnesota, Dallas, that Felino was unhappy about. It was actually a good piece, but, uh, and there was commentary from Dave Jackson in the article about his take on things and do referees call games differently in the playoffs. Um, and one of the sentences in that article, it said that, that yeah, Mayfield did, uh, lift his stick and moved um, Martinick's stick a little bit, but he's, but they said there's nothing, there's nothing in the rule book that specifically accounts for that. So basically saying, even though that might be true, it should have still been a penalty regardless. Yeah. And the way that I look at it is, is that the rule states that you're supposed to be in control of your stick at all times. So with, with that, the, the stick lift itself didn't cause the contact with the stick in the face. The stick, the contact with, with um, Martinuk's stick in the face occurred when Martinuk was skating away. Now you can say, oh, well, he was you know, skating away the whole time, but the lift occurs and then he tr tries to get away further from Mayfield. And that's when he just is, has a stick out like this and mm -hmm. it hits Mayfield in the face. At that point, he has control of his stick yes. when it hits Mayfield in the face. That's why it should have been a penalty. And I don't, I don't agree at all with what Mike Ruff or anyone like that was saying about that, because it, it, that's, that's what the rule states. And in that situation, he has control of his stick. So by the rules, all these guys are technically wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for the clarification on that, because that's what some of these guys, the, the, the people on the other side will argue about. I mean, I, I could be buyer beware on a stick lift, but that's a good point. It, it doesn't matter if you clip your own face with the stick you just lifted. So that's what we had to get at. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick Hold second. On, Hold on, though. Before you go Wait. forward, I just wanted to highlight that and just say, first, that's awesome. one, thank you very much, Johnny. We appreciate that. And two, congratulations. Um, that's pretty awesome. Um, so you got you have a new granddaughter. Uh, that's great. Again, congrats from all three of us. We're, we're incredibly happy for you and incredibly thankful at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear, Johnny. All right. Uh, we are going to uh, just get out of that, and we got to do a quick DraftKings read. Hockey fans light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. 
combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot and an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sports app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at the DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. All right. Now let's get a focus. We're going to go across the river. And uh, I think that's both rivers because there's two rivers involved in this. And talk about the New York Rangers. Before we get into all the different uh, highlights on that, first let's just uh, highlight this one comment from Patrick saying this is the best hockey channel. Thank you very much because we appreciate all the support all you guys have been giving us. We're um we're we're growing every single day and we're growing because of you guys. So you you keep watching, we'll keep on on doing whatever we can. But this this uh entire series so far has been a huge fight. <laughs> that still kills me just even looking at that right now of course by the way uh whatever we can we can go with the final buzzer with John Fulkowski, who uh, whose show I ruined last week by having a very poor mic reception. Uh, I try to get the okay. sixty second. Uh, well, everybody was in the comments was saying I was kind of garbled. Our sixty second game reviews. We always try to get him on for both teams, even when I miss a little comment about the Islanders. Sorry, John. Anyway. Um, we're also, by the way, we're broadcasting on Rumble now, too. So check out a lot. And, of course, always check out the Big Apple Hockey Trucker hats. Again, the C- the A block is powered by SeatGeek. I put up this graphic before. But we know about the Rangers and the Devils. Game five tomorrow night. The series is tied at two. Phil, the Rangers won two track meets. The Devils won two defensive battles. You figure it would be the other way around. Uh, Akira Schmid or Schmid. 35 saves in game three, 22 in game four. Look at that number on the save percentage. And look out, the Devils' top producers are producing. And here's Chris Kreider, five goals in the series. Patrick Kane, a goal and five assists. Filk, who is in control of this series? Right now, you got to say the Devils. Um, the last two games have just not been good for the Rangers. The Rangers' effort has not been good enough. Spineless. It's a bunch of cowards, and it's a soft leadership group that has shown nothing but cowardice. And Gerard Gallant was right to come out and call them soft. They deserve that comment. And if any of these guys on these on this team have a set of balls, then they'll come out and prove Gerard Gallant wrong. But I don't know if I trust any of them to do that right now. Artemi Panarin is playing the same way he played last year in the playoffs. Same way. Cowardly, cowardly, lazily, blind drop passes to, to the middle of nowhere, turnovers again. Vincent Trocek, aside from that goal, what have you done in this series? You've pissed off a couple of players, great, but where are you on the score sheets? Where are you defensively? 
Mika Zibanejad is probably the biggest disappointment I have seen in this entire series. For a guy who wears a letter on his jersey, you should take that letter off of your jersey and throw it in the freaking garbage because you have been awful. You have been a joke in this series. You do you do not deserve that A. And I, I furthermore, if if it was up to me, if they lose this series, I would strip him of that A after this series if they lose it. Because his efforts have been pathetic in this series. He doesn't look like he cares. He doesn't look like he wants to be there. He doesn't he doesn't look motivated. I don't if you're hurt, sit out. If that if that's what it is, if you're hurt, sit. But he hasn't shown any signs of being hurt. There's nothing I could point to. Nothing. Nowhere. And Artemi Panarin, another one. I, I just, I, I don't understand what it is with this leadership group. Jacob Troop is a joke of a captain, so I'm not going to even really get into that. But, uh, I mean, Igor looks like he's the one guy who's shown up to play. The kid line has been consistent for the most part. Even the fourth line has just not been good enough at times. And uh, Keandre Miller, again needs to be better he's getting thrown around by guys that are half his size inexcusable inexcusable it's just it's pathetic up and down this lineup has just done nothing but disappointing Patrick Kane had a big game in game three and a lot of his point I mean in game two but a lot of his points come from that game and I, honestly he needs to be better as well that entire top six Needs to be held accountable aside from Chris Kreider, who was great in the first two games and good in the third game, but he was nowhere to be found in the fourth game either. And it just, you, you got away from trapping, which they were doing perfectly. They were clogging the middle. They weren't giving anybody anything. The defense is still not bad, per se, because they're not giving up a ton of high-danger scoring chances. The Devils have just been opportunistic when they've gotten them. Um... Igor was terrible on the Siegenthaler goal. That was just one of the that's, worst. That's that's a bad one. That's a that's very a bad, bad, bad goal. That 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 can't that can't happen. That can't happen. I mean, he's been really good in this series, but he that cannot happen. That Siegenthaler goal. Um, and then the the power play has just been awful since the second game. The configuration needs to be changed up. Gerard Gallant refuses to go away from the configurations for whatever reason. And I, I don't understand it. I really don't. And, you know, I mean, this power play has just been meh for quite some time. Um, they changed it up late in the regular season and got away from that all-star unit. And it started scoring. And then they went right back to the all-star unit. Because, duh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm... I'm going to sit there and I'm going to continue to force the round peg into the square hole and hope that something works. Stupid. It needs to stop. And I, honestly, yeah, I knew you were going to do that at some point, but yeah. I was it, waiting for a break in your sentence, but, and I went with the censored version for you. Yeah. So it, it's, it's terrible. It, 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 and Here's the number on the all-star unit as per Steven four for 30 with the all-star unit. And, and Pete, you're going to say how much of this is on Gallant. This is uncommon in the playoffs. Yeah. Part of it is on him. Part of it is on him because I don't care if you're a player's coach. I don't care if you have a veteran unit. I don't care if you have an all-star unit, 
Your job as a coach is to get the team going, to correct mm-hmm. the issues, not to just throw everything on them and say, you fix your own problems. That's not coaching. That's not how it works. That's why you do not have a Stanley Cup. And that's why right. you've lasted less than four years at all of your stops. So unless you start changing something and you get through to these guys, hopefully calling them soft wakes them up. But unless you start doing what you're supposed to do as a coach, then this team's not going to win. And if this team doesn't win, then all of the heads should roll. Gallant, Zibanejad, Kane, Panarin, let all of them go. And I know Panarin's got and Panarin and Zibanejad had no trades, but you can coerce them into doing things or by doing things to coerce them into getting out of those no trade clauses and moving them. I'm telling you, you can embarrass them publicly and they'll want to be out of New York. So. Wow. Put up or shut up. Well, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect that. That's, that's, that's. Feel, feel, if they lose, that's it. If they lose, fire. I don't think this, this team deserves another run because this, this leadership group has shown to be pathetic. It, it's shown that they don't have what it takes. It's shown <laughs> that they don't want to play playoff hockey to win. Sorry, but you know what? You you, you played like crap against Pittsburgh, and you, you you beat a third string goaltender. Congrats, good for you, good for you. You beat a third string goaltender, and then in Carolina, no Freddie Anderson. You beat Anti Ranta and a third string goaltender. Okay, so now this team, you you turned Vitek Vanacek into what he actually is, which is not good, and then you have a third string goaltender coming in. And you're losing to that because what you don't want to shoot the puck and you don't want to go for rebounds and take a beating in front of the net to score some goals. Schmidt's let up rebounds in both games, big juicy rebounds. And all they have to do is send somebody to the slot and try to fight for a puck and you'll get a goal. Look at what happened. Schrocek did it in game four and that was their only goal. So you know what? This team isn't mentally tough. They're fragile. And I said last week that New Jersey should be the fragile team. Nope, but it turns out the veteran team that wants to play soft perimeter hockey is the fragile team. What do you, Great. What do you, what do you All quit New York. Thanks, assholes. What are, what are your thoughts on B on B Rye here? On Ron Zibanejad, uh, what are you watching? What what anybody who defends Zibanejad, Panarin, or Trocheck, I want to know what you're watching because th- those three in specific have been dog shit. Don't now, shit. just to back up Philco on this, we've we called on Mika Zibanejad last year against the, no, the no, no, Pittsburgh no. Penguins. This right now, I don't want heads to roll at two two. <clears throat> I want heads to roll if they lose this series. Pay careful attention to what I'm saying. Yeah, and again, that's something that can happen. And if it does, I mean, I know you talked about it. There were rumors of them possibly jettisoning. Uh, Gerard Gallant if Mike Sullivan becomes available. So I would. that's Sullivan knows how to friggin' put together a team and win. And and the team of stars too with that. I think if Sullivan, if Sullivan was gonna get ousted, I think he would have got ousted along with along with Hextall when it happened. I, I think Sullivan's job is safe. I still think it's a little bit in question, but I think it's pretty safe. No, I'd I say about seventy-five percent. Because it depends if let them in points and goals last year. Great. What have you done for me lately? 
lots of guys lead teams in in goals, and then they end up doing nothing in the playoffs. What what is what has he done in this postseason? Now, last year he woke up at Game Six, I believe it was, and then really carried the team through <laughs> through the playoffs. So it's possible Zabanajad can wake up. Panarin, we're not looking at too uh, too well, but uh. I, you know what? I agree with Steven on that one. Vitek Vanacek must be looking Relax, at these last two games. Mika has been noticeably awful. He's, he's no nice. oh, no, There's no defending this. Please stop goals. defending it because it's terrible. It's a well, terrible take. He's been bad. Just to get I, a different, just to get a different take on this at the moment, Anthony, who is in control of this series? I mean, I really. I can't really argue in the, the in the Ranger connoisseur and, and Filk. I mean, he's it's it's got to be the Devils, right? I mean, the Devils just came. We're down 2-0. They took two at the Garden, and uh, you know now they're going back home. And aside from the Zabinajad and Panarin talk with being passengers, the one thing if I was a Ranger fan that I'd be concerned with is, you know, yes, the road team has won all games so far, so that could point in the Rangers' favor. However, it's not usually the norm. Um, so you, I mean, it's reasonable to think that, okay, the devils are bound to win a home game. So if that were to happen in game five tomorrow, then yeah, you know, now you're down three, two and you're facing elimination. So yeah, I, I absolutely think that the devils are in the driver's seat right now. Um, and you know, my fire ranger fan, the concern I would have is a lot of what Phil said, but I mean, Artemi Panarin right now, he's. He's like the the state puff marshmallow man. The guy, the guy is, is soft as they come. And I don't mark you. You could be a defender of him, and I get it. You know, he's a he's an elite player. But yeah, sure, he's an elite player in the regular season. He, he's a point machine. But what good is it going to do if come playoff time he's not committed to playing a playoff brand style of hockey? You know, when you hit him, he he just goes into a mode. Okay, well, I I don't like this physical game. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna essentially just drift off into the wilderness here and that's what he does if, he if you play the body on him in the playoff when you have to fight for every inch of ice come playoff time he does not like to do that and that's not his style jury called him out on last year after they got eliminated you know he was critical of Panarin's play and right now if the Rangers will lose I can't imagine majority would say this time because that'd be two years in a row and you would have to think there could be some serious consequences for that so um, yeah, Panarin, as great as he is, putting up those points, um, he's really disappointing right now. Um, and then Zabenajad, I mean, he's I mean, because Panarin's got zero goals, but you could say he's more of a playmaker anyway. But Zabenajad is, is their best pure goal scorer, um, and he's got no goals through four games, he's got two points. That's not good enough, it's not good enough at all. He, he needs to do what he normally does. I don't hear anything about his defense because his defense really hasn't been that good in this series. Uh, yeah. He, he, needs yeah. to, he needs to fill the, the net with pucks, and he's not doing it. And, you know, they say, I know it's cliche, but come playoff time, your best players need to be your best players. And right now, you know, Fox is doing well. Crowder's playing well. Um, I think Heedle's even got three points in four games. Um, Kane's got points. But Panarin's Benajad, arguably two best players, are, aren't producing right now to the level that they're expected to. Um, and it's like they're not even contributing in other areas – of the ice. I'll, I'll make the correlation to Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat for the Islanders, he absolutely needs to produce more. He does. But at least with Bo Horvat, he's been a monster in the faceoff circle. He kills penalties. He's plays solid positional hockey. These guys in Panarin and Zabinajad, 
they're not doing any of that. And, you know, for the Rangers, if they lose, it's going to come down hard on them. I know Phil made the hot take. If they lose, you know, he would want to see them moved. Um, you know, I I would love that because, listen, hockey, hockey fans, we love big blockbuster trades and it would be really exciting. I just don't know if they realistically do that. Um, I no, mean, maybe, they they, maybe they'd have the appetite to move Panarin more than, Z- more than Zibanejad, but – um, yeah, but it, no, if, if the Rangers go out, these guys are going to be highly questioned in their compete level in the playoffs. Let me just start with what's most disappointing about this is that the last time Phil and I were able to do a stream, we said Zibanejad and Panarin really haven't done much and imagine if they get going. Well, instead, the rest of the team went to doing nothing and those guys somehow did even less. Artemi, this this team was made for Artemi Panarin to succeed in the playoffs. There is plenty of skill. There is plenty of people to get the spotlight away from him. And what has happened? He's he's still wilting. How how is this guy still wilting? It, it's it's beyond me in any way. Now, can things change if the puck goes in for him tomorrow night? Sure, but and I mean, I think this Abanajad line has seen a lot of. Nico Heischer and uh, Jesper Bratt. But the thing is, Bratt's been really driving uh, offensive play throughout the entire series for the Devils. And now Heischer gets an assist on the Sigathaler goal, which we all could agree should not have gone in the net. But that's a different story at the moment. Because uh, I don't fall Igor Sisterkin. And, and, and yeah, Panarin has one style and it doesn't work well in the playoffs. And he just goes, oh, all right, well, I can't do anything. <laughs> well, if, if it was John Tortorella still coaching him right now, he'd be on him with the way he was on Marion Gabrick and other guys that produced 40 That's the teams. problem. That is the big problem with this team is that they have a leadership group. that It's a veteran group, but they are soft. And you need a hard-ass coach like a Tortorella or someone like that to get on these guys when they don't get going and they don't produce and they don't show up the games. And Gallant is too soft, too hands-off to 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 let or to stop that from happening. And it just it continues to happen because of it. And part of why this team will lose will be because Gallant is not strict enough, not stern enough with these guys. If if they lose, that's what that's part of what it's going to come down to. The other part of it is is that you have guys like Panarin who don't want to you know play that physical game come playoff time. And you know what? You need to win. We've seen guys smaller than him play way bigger than he has. Um, there was a guy named Marty Saint Louis that won league MVP and won two scoring trophies. He played big when he needed to play big. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to go into Theo Flurry? Because I saw him once elbows an annual char in a head off of a face-off. I've also seen him win a Stanley Cup. The big problem I just want to say about the Panarin thing is, as the comments are starting to roll in, is I believe it's three more years on his deal at $11 million plus, and you have to convince him to want to go to a place like the Anaheim Ducks, like maybe Vegas. The problem with it is also is that he's going to want to convince Chris Drury to bring back Vladimir Tarasenko. And then if that happens, 
he's not going anywhere because that's his boy. Yeah. They have been friends since they were playing junior together in Russia. They were a world team, world junior gold medal winning teammates in 2011. So, uh, you know what? It, it's it, he needs to be better. Um, and yeah, and this this is another thing. Uh, teams that can afford Panarin are not going to want to. You know, he's not going to want to go there probably more than likely cap wise, unless the cap goes up and there's a team that comes in magically out of nowhere, creates some cap space, and says, "Hey, you know what? We'll uh, we'll throw." You know, we'll throw you this in that form. But, you know, that this, and Aaron was Tarasenko's best man in his wedding. They've been friends for a very long time. But this team, again, this is if they lose. And I'm not saying they're going to lose. I predicted the Rangers in six. But, As did I. But I'm telling you right now, this team needs to show a lot more than they've been showing. And Mika Zibanejad has not been good. He is not. So uh, I'm telling you right now, those two need to be better in order to win game five. Those two are key. There's no X factors. They need to be better. That is it. It is the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. Matter of fact type deal. And I've, I've been using this euphemism uh, in, from golf. They don't ask you how. They ask you how many. And three bad shots and one good shot is par. That's another one that's in there. And we have 40 of you watching. So thanks very much, everybody, for joining us. Make sure that you leave a like and you subscribed. But the um, so if this series went to the other way around, but the home team held serve every single game, I don't know if we'd have the same attitude. I don't know. Uh, maybe we do. Maybe we don't. But I think it's because it went this way and it just this is so awkward. I have never seen anything like this. And I mean, I've seen a lot of series go like this. Uh, I mentioned on the channel the last three times that this happened. I forgot to mention Montreal in 2015, everybody, that it went. The Rangers were up 2-0 and they had a 3-1 series lead by the, or by the time it was over when they went up 2-0 on, um, on a road series. Now it's 2-2. Now the Devils, can they hold serve at home? Are they going to get anything out of Timo Meyer? Are they going to get anything out of uh, Dawson Mercer, who hasn't done much in this series? If those guys come alive, there's a lot to, to worry about. And Igor Sesterkin has done really well. He's got over a 940 save percentage in the playoffs. What more could you ask this guy to do? Just they got to they got to pop one on Akira Smead, and that's it. So, all right. So, uh, last words. Start with you for, uh, first, Vilk. Who wins game five? I'm going to have to say the Rangers. It's, it's gotta be them. Anthony. Um, I don't know. Who do I think is going to, who do I think is going to win? Who do you think? Gut reaction. The, the Rangers. All right. And, uh, it's going to be I'll, – I'll go with that. I think it's still going to be the Rangers. I think either team that, that loses game five is capable of winning five, uh, six and seven. So I, I will say, though, not that this is exactly going out on a limb because they'd be up three, two, but I think who, I think whatever team wins next, you know, whoever wins game five, I think is ultimately going to win the series. Oh, it's, uh, it's actually funny you bring that up, Anthony, because historically speaking, the series is tied at two. 
the game five winner wins about 80% of it. Uh, by the way, one thing I forgot to cover, guys, there was no answer by the Rangers when Nico Heischer ran into uh, Igor Sesterkin. If you saw Heischer's reaction, you know he couldn't control himself and he just ran into him. Is is he going to have to answer the bell on on Thursday? Phil? I don't think so. I don't I don't think anybody's going to do it unless they're they're ahead in the game to the point where they don't have to worry about that type of thing. I, I just I, I it's usually it's not their it's just not their forte to go out and make somebody pay for it. I would love to see Jacob Truba absolutely end Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes mm-hmm. and and really send a message that way and catch one of them with their heads down. But um, I don't think anything's going to happen. Anthony, nothing's going to be happening out of that? I don't think so. Because I got to say, twice Igor Sesterkin was run into at the Garden. No response. That Now, you could say there was no response in game three. It was too important of a game. Game four was at the right time. But it's just like a pitcher throwing high and tight. You can't control it. You don't do it. And the Rangers got to go send a message out there. So, everybody, that's the end of the A block. We ran a little bit long with the A block because we had a lot that we had to talk about. So, let's get into our bar talk segment. Shot. This is the easiest cyber to answer. Miss Apier. I can't even begin to describe. I'm actually going to go crazy. I'm going to buy everybody around on this one. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Big Apple Hockey's Bar Talk, where we're gauging our confidence on NHL topics based on our choice of drink. Are you not so confident? Oh, just give me a shot. Are you so confident that you're buying everybody around or just so-so beer? And, of course, it's play along in the comments below. And it's always brought to you by Drizzly. Click the link in the description. Why go to the liquor store when the liquor store can come to you? Go to, go, go to Drizzly. Use the link from us. And, of course, Big Apple Hockey Trucker Hats. Are in are in stock right now. Here they are, right there, guys and Philk. We're right back to you again. You talked about it in a block. The Rangers 0 for 8 on the power play in games three and four after dominating the power play in games one and two. The New York Rangers need to put Vladimir Tarasenko on power play one. I would, yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a round like just this this power play just doesn't shoot. They need one timers. I always talk. Who do I always mention first when I talk about how ideal power play setups? I forget uh, the Oilers. Tampa. Oh yeah, Tampa, 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 Tampa. Mimic their scheme. And that's why they're two of the best power plays in the entire NHL. Offside one-timer, shots from the point, a lot of shots on net, and you you, you have a right-handed Mika Zibanejad in the Ovechkin spot. And in the Kucherov spot, you can have, wait for it, Vladimir Tarasenko, who you brought in to do what? Score goals. And where does he score goals at a pretty high clip? The power play. Like, this this is simple math. It's one plus one is two, not EMC squared is the square root of 75,468,588. 
This is not like, this is not some sort of like crazy algebra question. That's a very oddly specific number. Scott Steiner math. It's literally was like my, my Scott Steiner math version of, of hockey here. And just, uh, I, I can't believe that this is so hard for Gerard Gallant to understand. Why does he continue to try to force this? It's not working. Change it up. Anthony. Muted. Yeah. I can I can certainly relate to power play issues, but uh yeah, when you're you know 0 for eight on the last two games, it's time to switch things up. So this is easy round. Um Tarasenko's a pretty good power play player too, has been his whole career. So um right now it's not working. You should definitely change it. Can't hurt. And you know what? You got to change up your schemes a little bit. Maybe you have to go to uh, what they did at the beginning of the year, uh, not the beginning of the year, the beginning of the month, where they had the two different power play units. So, again, um, I'm going to go round on this, and this is the first time I get to use this one, and I'll make it a hat trick. So we just got – I mean, it's, it's you, you can't help but look at it and think something has got to change. I don't particularly think they're playing badly on the power play, but – too many shots going in the bread basket. They need to get more traffic in front. That means Alexei Lafreniere has got to get more power play time. So be it and get some body in front of them. I can't believe we still don't have Kapokako on the power play. Maybe run the kid line out there. See how they do on the power play. Do something that's not what you're doing right now. And it's not just a matter of scheme. And speaking about a team that needs to fix their power play scheme. By the way, Anthony, I talked about this the other day when I just went on a stream. Like, what is the Islanders' power play scheme? It looks like sometimes they, they got the three forwards in a line, then the defense with it back and a forward in front, like Andrew, the, that's Andrews Lee. And then sometimes it just looks like they have nobody in front at, all, at any time. Uh, that's um, and this is another thing. Why is Truba on either power play? I don't even care if it's two. He can't no. hit the damn net. No, he no, he can't. He can shoot 95 miles an hour. But what does it matter if you're like Fulton Reed with no control? Basically, yeah. And it's not even the Trojan horse because you're not going to scare any chillers. No. That's just that. But, guys, looking at a New York Islander defenseman in this series, Noah Dobson, two assists, plus two. Two very costly power play minutes last night. And uh, Anthony, Noah Dobson just not has not played well in this series. Um, no, he's it's round. He hasn't, uh, you know, he's, he's actually struggled defensively, uh, mightily this, this whole season. Uh, you know, he's basically, he still produces points. Uh, that, that's, that's obvious, but his defensive game, um, took a little bit of a slip up this year. And, you know, I know, you know, he's still young, so I think there's, you know, time for, he can, you know, rebound and stuff, but, um, yeah, this series, he's, he's made a lot of, Really strange decisions with the puck turnovers. I mean, last night, power play guy just like, you know, first off, the Hurricanes know it's coming. Dobson rushed the puck up. He curls back, drops it for Barzell. But Dobson skated it up, basically just gave it to Jordan Stahl. He went on a breakaway. Thankfully, Sorokin made the save. But um, he's, he's turned the puck over too much. Uh, he's got he's to get back to basics, simplify his game. Um, and, you know, maybe he could, you know, start to improve is played defensively, but um, yeah, he's, he needs to get his act together here because 
uh, a lot of times, you know, when you make these costly errors, they can end up in the back of your net. Now's not the time to make those errors. So um, he needs to pick up his game defensively for sure. Philk. Yeah, well, promise that there's not going to be that many more. So more layups. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, really? Like, he's just been that bad. It's, and I'll, I'll say this. Keandre Miller took a step forward offensively this year. Noah Dobson looked like he was trying to state, uh, take a step forward defensively this year after taking the step forward offensively last year. So it yep. looks like they're two, like they're two young defenders, same draft year and everything, just trying to figure out how to manage and balance the the you know the completion of their games. So I mean, Dobson, you can give him a little bit of a pass, but he just cannot be ready. And this is actually a comment because I do agree with it. Fulbrook's not ready for the playoffs yet. He's just not. Um, no, I don't think man. Romanov is going to be that much of a difference maker, but Bulldog looks out of his league. He can't play in the lineup. Somebody else has got to come in if, if Romanov is uh, – Anthony, because Phil brought up his name, Romanov's uh, fan on the on Sunday. What do you think about that? Oh, that was – yeah, that was – you know, it was funny because I just uh, – when he came back for game three, I had really high praise for him. He came back. He was in the lineup. He played great. Honestly, one of his best games in the Islander. And then, you know, in game four, he just was skating it up and just totally fanned and it turned into a goal. I mean, it happens sometimes. But, yeah, no, I was like, that was that was just really bad. It's like he went to go dump the puck in, completely missed. Puck goes the other way and it's in the net. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I cursed him out. I'm actually yeah. just going to go uh, – Phil, what was your thoughts? Uh, oh, that? I mean – it's a gaff that's going to show up on a blooper reel and you're just going to laugh at that. And hopefully if you're an Islander fan, you just hope you can laugh about it at the end of the series and, and just see it on a blooper reel going forward and just be like, ah, what a, what a moron or something like that. And so, yeah, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give Dobson a little bit of a pass. I'm going to go to beer for him, but he is not originally this topic was supposed to be, he's taking a step back. I think that's a little bit strong to yeah. say that he's, that back but uh th- he is just not... a layup in the shot comment shot. yeah so that that would have been just a little bit rough on that one hopefully no more of those but this week the toronto maple leafs they come back they take game four from a 4-1 deficit and they take a 3-1 series lead the toronto maple leafs are finally showing a playoff mentality and uh, I'm going to buy everybody around on this one, guys, because I, I think this team especially, and we were talking about it, they weren't messing around. Game one looked terrible, absolutely terrible. They come back, they blow uh, Tampa out in game two. Then they go down to Tampa. They end up falling behind. It was a, that's, that's a controversial game because does the point goals, uh, should it have counted? Arguably, yes, it should have arguably and then game four down four to one they end up winning the game in overtime so two overtime wins got you you gotta think toronto possibly could finish this off uh it's it tomorrow night tomorrow night they could finish it off Philk. i'm gonna say beer and the reason why i'm gonna say beer is i'm gonna give them some credit 
for the resiliency that they have shown in these games. Um, I just think that Tampa is not as good of a team as they've been in the past couple of years. And I think that the amount of hockey that they've played over the last four seasons between 2020, 2021, I know 2020, they got a big rest, but you know, then you come back to that after resting and you don't have much of an off season. Then you have 2021, which is, you know, a shortened season. They played a bunch of hockey in that. Then you have 2022. And now this year, I mean, they've, they've played more games than just about anybody over the last four years, Tampa. And I think that this group is just not as good as they were. I mean, never mind talking about guys like Gord, Goudreau, and Coleman losing those guys. But you, you lost guys like Ruta, McDonough, and Palat. And now you're really starting to see, like, the lack of depth on Tampa's end and how it's affecting them in the playoffs. So I'm going to give Toronto credit, but – I don't think this Toronto team would have even touched last year's Tampa team, never mind the teams from the years before. Anthony. Yeah, I'm going to go beer. Um, pretty much the same reasons, but I, I do have to give it to Tampa Bay uh, to Toronto, though, because you know they got waxed in game one. They came back, made a statement of their own. Um, and then the last couple, the last, you know, two games overtime winners, especially the, the being down 4 1, coming back to win, that's resiliency. But you got to remember, though, the, the Maple Leafs were up 3-1 against Montreal, um, you know, and, and we saw what happened there. They lost. So they've been up before in series and ended up blowing it. So we'll see if they finally change change things around this year. Uh, but so they're not totally there. But right now they are looking like a more complete team that knows what it takes. So we'll see what happens for the rest of the series. All right. We got two topics based around one series right here. Patrice Bergeron, questionable for game five. Uh, there's they, they keep going back and forth whether or not he's going to be going in. The Bruins can rest Patrice Bergeron until round two, Mr. Fikowski. This one's definitely not a layup. Um, I'm torn between beer and round here. Um I'm just going to say beer just because I, I, I think that they can, at this point, they can afford to just keep them out these next couple of games. Um, I mean, I think Boston's handling Florida quite well without both Bergeron and Krejci. So that that's kind of a scary thing to think about. But, um, uh, yeah, if it gets to seven, I would bring him back. But – I, I wouldn't – I mean, if I would sit him tonight, uh, and then I would if, – if they lose the next game, I wouldn't play him in game six. I would only bring him back in seven if it gets to that. Anthony. Yeah. Um, said should rest him. That may be a different – you know what? I'll, I'll go I'll go round. They're up 3-1. Um, they can afford to rest him tonight. Uh, they're probably going to close out the series. So, I, you know, they've they've clearly really have no issues with beating Florida without him. So um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't rush him back just so he could play, you know, a game before round two. I'm going to go beer on this uh, because I, if, if there's 
a Florida win tonight, which is going to be the second half of this uh, question, uh, that could change things a lot because then you don't want to just bring him back for game seven. You want to at least get him to get his feet wet. But then again, this is Patrice Bergeron, almost 20 years, uh, 20 years since he's been drafted. Uh, he's He's been through a lot with the Bruins, and he's one of the best captains and leaders in the NHL. I wouldn't doubt that he could just come back. He would fall out of bed and uh, play well in a playoff series because, and we'll just go back real quick, guys. The Panthers are going to force game six. Philk. I'm going to say beer. Uh, I, I think they might be able to find a way to do it, but I'm not very confident that they will. Um, it's definitely not impossible. Um, if Ber- they, they might, Bergeron actually might be playing tonight. So if that, if that's the case, cause that's um, a couple of updates while, while I'm on this, um, Joe Pavelski is apparently flying to Minnesota for game six. So that's good news. Yeah. I don't, there, there's no word. Mike, Mike Haka said that there's no word on whether he's playing yet or not, but Pete DeBoer said that he is flying to Minnesota for game six. Uh, Bergeron might be in the lineup for tonight. It, it sounds like a game time decision. If he plays, man, um, I, I would I would downgrade that to a shot. But as of right now, I'm just going to say beer because his status is still up in the air technically. Anthony, the Panthers will force game six. Hi, guys. I changed my mind. Okay. Um, we just got uh update. Uh, I'm going to say shot now because okay. expected to play as per uh, uh, – Fluto, Fluto Shinzawa, who's actually been with the Bruins for a while. So, Anthony, so Panthers are going to force game six. Shot. Um, I, don't, I think their time's up. Um, also, I see just see Bobrovsky's starting tonight in goal two. Um, so I don't know if switching the goaltenders up going to make much of a difference, especially a guy who hasn't played all that much lately either. So I think the Bruins are going to close it out and move on tonight. Maybe the uh, the Rangers could involve Sergey Bobrovsky in a three-way no-trade clause uh, trade to, to move our team. <laughs> three-way no-trade blockbuster? Yeah, th- that all three guys would have to waive their no-trade clauses. Oh, God. If that's the case. The other and get our team that are going in this one. I mean, wow. Do you want to talk about Larry Brooks would have to work overtime just to figure that one out on oh, that geez. rumor? Uh, but uh, my answer is a shot too. Now, especially hearing about Bergeron's in, I don't like what they they had. It was already going to be a shot. I don't like what they got going on in net. You don't know who's in net, and Alex Lyon. They should have just left with him until it got real bad. But Bobrovsky's been okay. He hasn't been bad. He's made that first save, but then that was about it. You know, like just you never really that. He hasn't fit in Florida. Guys, last night the Dallas Wild shut out the. the sorry, the, the Dallas, Dallas Stars. Oh my god! Dallas Wild. All right. Well, there we go. We'll play the other clip. Oh no, Mark messed up. All right. Uh, we can get a jingle out of that soon. All right. But last night the Dallas Stars shut out the Minnesota Wild in Game Five. Dallas leads three games to two. Look at these numbers for Rupe Hens: four goals, seven assists in the series. Anthony Rupe Hints is carrying the Dallas Stars. Uh, round, you know, he leads he leads all scorers and points with eleven. Um, so I would say, yeah, uh, he certainly is. 
Um, he had a breakout year this year, a uh, real gifted player. Um, you know, and you know, I mean, him and Robertson are pretty much makes the stars go. Uh, but right now, he's in the driver's seat, really powering that team. So it's a round for me. Phil, this is serious. That's <laughs> uh, what was on my rundown. It wasn't mine, but I'll this, say that. This, 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 come on, come on. All right, layup. We're doing yeah. a layup. I mean, the guy is literally leading the entire NHL in postseason scoring right now with 11 points in five games. He's scoring over two points per game. He's scoring more than Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And it's not like all of his points like came in like one game or something like that. He's got points in four of the five games. And three of the five games, he has three or more points, including a four-point game with a hat trick. Like, so if you want to take a look at, like, one thing and say, oh, well, three of his four goals came in one game. Okay. He still has one goal in the other four games of the the series. And in in the other four games of the series, he has seven assists. Or, I mean, uh, he has six assists in the other four games of the series. Like, it's just – it's incredible. So, I mean, I don't know how this is anything other than a layup. I gotta, I gotta say, I didn't think it was going to be such a layup, and yeah, I think that did happen at one point. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be such a layup, but it is. We're gonna buy around. <laughs> we're gonna buy around, and also we're gonna get another hat trick out here because here's here's the thing. Yeah, all right, yeah, we got it, we got it. I messed up. So here's the, here's the thing about it. Uh, I really wanted to say, no, they got Ottinger. He's playing well in this series. He is. But, I mean, 925 save percentage, 2.19 goals against. I think that's what he's got right now. Uh, Robertson played well in this series. So is Sagan. But you look at the numbers, hints is God. He's blowing everybody away. <clears throat> I think the next closest guy has got six. That's, that, I, I would take that. I would take that in a heartbeat uh, for any team would take that. Maybe not so much the Edmonton Oilers, though, because the Edmonton Oilers defeated L.A. 6-3 to last night, and they also came back from a 3-0 deficit Sunday night, and then in overtime, Zach Hyman, game winner. Guys, the Oilers-Kings has been the most exciting series. Philk. Nope. Dallas and Minnesota. All right. That is a shot for me. Um it, this would be the number two, but Dallas and Minnesota has had the fireworks. It's had the drama. It's had high-scoring games. Um, yes, Edmonton and L.A. is great because obviously there's star power, and there was a little drama because Connor McDavid was actually held scoreless in the first game of the playoffs. <laughs> Who would have thought? McDavid, I think that was his, what, fifth like zero point game all year he had more he had more four point games than he had zero point games this year so after game one here's what Connor mcdavid decided to do he just said oh i'm just going to go god mode because i'm the human version of bo jackson in tech mobile you can't stop me so you <laughs> thought you stopped me for a game okay from games two through uh five 
Just just look at this stat line. It's incredible. Eight points in four games, including two goals, six assists. It's stupid. He's picking up where he left off. And Leon Dreisaitl has, what, six goals and ten points in five games? It just they picked up right where they left off. Okay, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna test these guys and see if they're actually not playoff performers and you know kind of throw that mantle at them again. And you know, no, no, we're just gonna pick right up where we left off and just be absolutely just filthy, disgusting, just stuff that we shouldn't even allow to be uploaded on YouTube because it's just so filthy and, and degrading. Anthony. <laughs> um I'm going to go – I don't know. It's tough because um, my my other one probably is Minnesota-Dallas because they've been real close games. They've been entertaining. But the Oilers-Kings have had a lot of, you know, a lot of um, multi-goal comebacks and uh, they're high scoring for the most part. Um, so, I don't know. I'll, I'll go beer, but I might lean slightly towards the Oilers and the Kings. Maybe just because I've also watched more of that series than the other one. But um, – I really like the style of hockey that both teams are playing. It's exciting for late nights, not putting you to sleep. Um, so I give a slight edge to this series, but I'll, I'll only go beer because it's slight. This is actually our um, poll question right now. What's the best series? And nobody has picked the wild versus the stars at all yet. <clears throat> now here's where I'm going to say it's, uh, I'm going to say a shot on this one as well, because I don't think this is the best series. Uh, I could argue Rangers-Devils, but the first two games, the Rangers really weren't in there. Vegas versus Minnesota. I did it again, Minnesota. Vegas versus uh, Winnipeg. The first game, blowout. But then since then, we're going we're gonna to overuse that, Anthony. <laughs> it's yep. it's, at least it's getting there. Um, but Vegas versus Minnesota. That I did it again. Did it again. <laughs> I just did it again. <laughs> Vegas versus Winnipeg. Wow. Vegas versus Winnipeg. I just started oh, saying it like yeah. that. That's had two overtime games, and the second one was uh, a very uh, uh, tightly fought game the entire time. That was a great series. Um, I would actually put this sort of – I got to go Stars and Minnesota ahead of this. Even though this one's got a questionable coaching decision, well, I'm going to get back to that one in a second. But one thing I said going into the playoff series – Back when we had L.A. versus Edmonton, we did the who says no on that. And one thing I alluded to is you were going to see all four goalies in this series. Guess what? We've seen all four goalies. That's not good goaltending. That's not good goaltending by any means. You're going to – I mean, you have uh, – Campbell basically came in. He lets in one more goal that, that then we're not talking about Stuart Skinner and uh, Edmonton somehow – trying to fight to, to stay alive. No, they'd be done. They'd be, they'd be over already, and there would go my Stanley Cup pick because I got them winning the West. So, I, I, I you know what? I'm going to go with uh, – Phil's got me convinced. I'm going to go with Minnesota versus Dallas. <laughs> Don't even get me started on the Bruins and uh, the, the Panthers. Or, or, I mean, again, I mean, what would be a hell of a series would be if Minnesota was playing Vegas because you'd wonder uh, – there, I wish I had a punchline there. I don't. I forgot one. So, <laughs> all right. Philk is not happy with that. I'll just going to move on. Uh, guys, Colorado, the Colorado Avalanche of the Seattle Kraken <laughs> game five tonight. The series is tied at two. 
Kel McCarr suspended one game for his game four hit on Jared McCann. And uh, I'll get your opinion on that first, guys. What do you think? Was that a dirty hit? Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. it was late. Should have was- gotten more than Michael Bunting. Or, or closer. Hmm. No. No, I don't I'm think okay so. with it for one game, maybe <laughs> two. I, I wouldn't have gone anything more than that. It's just there is contact to the head, and it's it's a late hit on top of that. And I mean, Kamakar is also a first-time offender, so they're not going to do they're not going to bring down the book on him, and they're yeah. definitely not going to do it to a star player like that in the playoffs. They just they're not going to, even though I feel like they should send send an example at some point with some of these guys who do that type of crap. So Michael Bunting, um, it was a repeat offender then? What? Was Michael Bunting a repeat offender? No, he wasn't either. But All right. it's just I'm just saying like they they need to they need to start setting an example with first timers and you know hitting them with harder suspensions and then actually reinforcing them to the playoffs. So All right. Well, here's the question guys. Anthony, we're going to start with you. Seattle will pull off the upset over Colorado. You changed this on me, didn't you? Uh, I think I just worded it a little bit differently. Uh, what was this? Uh, no, I think it's it was uh, the Kraken are going to pull off the upset. Oh. Yeah. Um, right, well, anyway, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say – you know, I'm actually going to say beer. Um, you know, Colorado is not playing like the Colorado team that they did down the stretch where I'm like, all right, they're playing like the defending cup champs. You know, they're, they're here. Um, Seattle's in this series. I mean, you could say Colorado's lucky to be up. Sorry, that they're lucky to be tied because Colorado came back from two goals down to beat Seattle for one of their wins. So um, Seattle's been in every game. Um, credit to them. They're playing well. I know we talked about none of us really being sold on Grubauer, but Grubauer is playing pretty well in that form. Um, in Colorado, like you said, they don't have Nikushkin right now. Uh, obviously, no Landeskog. They're 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 not they're not playing up to their capabilities. Uh, I guess some of that you got to credit to Seattle for what they're doing out there to frustrate them. Um, but this is a series. I mean, I'm only going beer because I, I'm not going to be bold and, and say round. And I certainly believe that they have a shot to do it, which is why I'm not going to say shot either. But, um, you know, the, this uh, this series could go Seattle's way. Colorado, there should be some worry in the avalanche room. I, I don't think it's a matter of where this could be. Like, All right, let's just turn it up and, and take control. I think Seattle's doing a lot of good things and they're, you know, they're struggling with. So um, just for the, the calamity that would, that would cause by Seattle winning, I'm rooting for it. It would kind of screw my own bracket over, but, um, I think it would be it would be quite the upset if it happened because I picked Avs in four, so I was way off. So did I. Way off. I took I think Avs in five or six. I forgot which one I said. I think I said five. So yeah, I got to say that uh, now, Phil. I'm sorry, I'm talking now. So now I, I'll just I'll be <laughs> quick. So I'll just say, yeah, I think they might pull it off. And you know what? I'll be bold. I'll be wrong. It's okay. I've already messed up enough today. Uh, yeah, Seattle's gonna win the series. Filk. 
that's what I was just going to do. I was just going to say, fuck it, I'm going oh, forward. And, and I'm going to go around just because no Makar, game five. Colorado's not been playing well. And Alexander Georgiev really hasn't been good in this series. Grubauer's outdueled him. Grubauer's just simply been better. And the other thing, if you watch Seattle, they're hungry and they believe. And they believe that they can do this. And that's a scary, scary thought for a Colorado team, if you ask me. Is that team will go out there and will do everything that they can to match their speed and outwork them every single ship, every single little board battle. And that's how you win games. This Seattle, Dave Haxtell has them motivated. He has them believing he he has they bought into him. And you know what? I, I criticized that coaching decision when they made it because I thought there were other coaches out there that they could have gotten that would have been better fits. But Hackstall has has turned this team into a very respectable, hardworking team despite the lack of talent. And I, I gotta I gotta say I'm you know I was a fan of Hackstall when he was at North uh, North Dakota because that's one of my college teams that I follow, and he's done a hell of a job with this team. So I I think Seattle is probably going to take this. Um, if they win tonight, I I think they take it but I, I think they might have to take it in seven because I, I can't see Colorado losing two in a row. I think losing two of the three is possible, but if Seattle takes it tonight, I, I think they're winning this series definitely. So well, I'm going to go around. Yeah. Sure. Wow. That's, uh, I should have let you answer first. So you could bring in the shock on that one. Uh, here's one for you. Chandler Stevenson, two goals, four assists, six points in the first round. Chandler Stevenson has been the Vegas golden Knights best player. Filk. Oh, God, Mark. Lay up again? Really? Just really, Mark? <laughs> All right. I thought it was more of a conversation. Another, another Go ahead. Guy who's just been it, just playing off the charts well for them. I, I mean, he just really wants to get – he wants to win. He wants to win. And – I, I mean, this is a big pickup for the Golden Knights. He had 65 points this year, and pretty sure he's leading all the Golden Knights scorers. Um, Jack Eichel has played well. Mark Stone has just come back. Their goaltending has been good and not great. Um, but, yeah, this team is is playing, playing some real good hockey, and Chandler Stevenson – is right at the top of the chart there. So, I mean, he's got six points in four games, two goals. Really, really good. So, <laughs> and you spelt it wrong, too. Great. Uh, <laughs> good job, Mark. Uh, <laughs> well, at least I get to fix that now. Thanks a lot. Maybe <laughs> I, I think I um I think Turner Stevenson back in the day. I think he spelt it with a V. He did. He did um, spell it with a V. Yeah. All right, Anthony. Whatever's whoever's whoever this guy is now. Stevenson. Stevenson. Okay, Mark. Oh, uh, it's not the right. It's not the right one yet. Oh wait, how is it? How is it still saying that? I changed it. Yeah. All right. That was weird. It's it's a it's a round, um, especially because. You know, Lauren for SWAT save percentage is 902. So it's not like you could say that, you know, the Vegas goaltender is is really keeping them in this series. Um, 
and the Stevenson six points. And the thing about him is, you know, he's also good defensively too. So um, he's doing everything for Vegas right now. So it's for me, it's an easy round. March so has uh, got two points. Riley Smith is two points. Jack Eichel's a point per game, four points in four games, three goals. I mean, but Chandler Stevenson has just been all he, – he's just been their driving force right now. Well, as long as you don't spell his name with a V. Fucking embarrassing! Because oh, it's just – without the censored <laughs> Oh, this time I deserved it! <laughs> we also yeah. said asshole before. What are we so worried about the F-bomb on that one for? Uh, we, we do need to worry about that, though. So, I mean, eventually. I think you get one, like, PG-13. So, um, yeah. I, I got to – I got to actually go. I'm going to go beer, guys. I'm not going to make it a clean sweep because you got two candidates. I think Vegas has that's playing just as well as him. Sure, there's one more point between uh, him and uh, Eichel. Eichel's had a great series. Eichel's had a really solid series. And Mark Stone had a bad game one, but he's picked it up since then. And he's he's been, uh, well, closer to the Mark Stone that we're used to. So hopefully that is it on that. Speaking about which, that is it on that, guys. Uh, that's it for Big Apple Hockey's Bar Talk, where we're gauging our com- uh, confidence on NHL topics based on our choice of drink. We're not spelling names correctly, but that's a different story. So um, everybody, thank you very much on that. Uh, do we still have time if you guys want to do an honest press conference? Well, what even about? I wasn't really... All right, well, we'll skip it. We'll skip it then. We'll just go write the questions and notes. And by the way, one of the notes that you brought up earlier, uh, I think it was either you, Filk, or it was Anthony. I forgot who brought it up. But Delorean Nichushkin, you you can only hope that things are going to turn around for him. He's away from the club right now. Um, Not the best news. Hopefully everything's fine. Um, Yeah, um, we've seen that before in the NHL too many times. And, I mean – Ranger fans probably remember Theo Fleury's multiple stints. Um, you know, there are other guys. Austin Watson was another one who was in recently. Yep. Um, you know, Bobby Ryan, he had to deal with some stuff. Um, it, it just, you know, any, and, you know, you have family members that are impacted by it and with Ben and AA and stuff like that. And, and you know what, you know the struggle. You know, forty-four percent layups, four mistakes. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, Mark, Mark looking like he's trying to uh, make a, a triple double, like he's Russell Westbrook or something. <laughs> I get to a triple double on mistakes and misspellings. I am in a lot of trouble. Yeah, uh, but. But you always gotta you gotta worry about with these guys and their their long term future. Like Spencer Knight, hopefully everything. Yeah, the most recent one before Nichushkin. Yeah, and obviously Robin Leonard going through it and coming out the other end better, but he still has things in his life he needs to to clean up. Uh, didn't he have to file bankruptcy over like thirty million dollars mm-hmm. worth of snakes? Yeah, some of that snake farm, something. Yeah, something like that, which was just just insane to think about. Fortunately, I do spell my name a different way, Dave. Panthers apparently just scored. Scored, yeah. Uh, it looks like Anthony Duclair, I think. 
Yeah, Anthony Duclair got it. Lead story on NHL.com right now. The heat is on. Panarin and Zibanejad feeling the pressure to score heading into game five. Who, Dan Rosen, I guess, wrote that? I believe so. Let's just double check. You are correct, Philk. It is Dan Rosen that wrote that one. Yeah. Um, how about the uh, the like Stockholm mini tournament that they're doing next year? That the Red Wings and the Senators and the Wild and Toronto are going to be there, but Toronto is playing games one and four, and the Wild are playing games. I think it's yeah, Sweden two and four. It's nothing new. They 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 start the year pretty much every year overseas into a yeah. It's been in like Prague. I mean, San Jose started in Prague, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean that's that's just two teams going over there and playing two games. And this is they're going there Germany too, and Nico Stern played in front of his hometown. Yeah. But I mean, and obviously, there's been a lot of those. Like I remember uh, with the Rangers, Henrik Lundqvist played in Sweden. And uh, I think they had exhibition games that they set up in Norway, but it's um... let's answer this one for first. Phil, do you think the, uh, do you think that Florida firing? Uh, I forgot his name all of a sudden. Andrew Burnett. Thank you. I remembered him as a player. Andrew Burnett was a bad move after the season that they had last year. Yeah, and Andrew Burnett actually scored the goal that ended Patrick Waugh's career, I believe, if I remember correctly. You were correctly. correct. He scored the yeah, final goal of Patrick Waugh. Yeah. He uh, second round to move on to face Anaheim in the uh, Western Conference Finals in 2003. So, I recall they came back from a 3-1 deficit, right, in that series? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I believe that was the case. But, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't like that move. I didn't like that move. Um, I thought Burnett did very well in Joel Quenville's absence. And I, I thought that he, he just, it seemed like he fit. I don't think the coaching move would have helped Burnett with, uh, or the, the big trade would have helped Burnett um, because you got rid of Uyghur. And yes, Kachuk was an MVP type player for them this year, but you lost depth. You lost a, uh, you lost a couple of players in that deal. So um, but I, I think Andrew Burnett got hosed. He really got hosed. They, that was the first time, the only time that Florida had ever won the president's trophy and they get ousted by a team that was a two time defending champion. Yeah. And I get it. I get it. It was a trouncing. It was a sweep. It wasn't good, but why, why are you giving this guy what one and a half years or something like that? And, and then just all of a sudden just kicking him to the curb. Like it, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Maybe something happened in the back and maybe, maybe the reason why was that he wanted to keep Huberto and management wanted to move on from Huberto because they didn't like Huberto's playoff performances. So that might be part of it. If you ask me. Anthony, what do you think about them going away from brunette and going to, um, uh, going to Paul Maurice. I mean, I get it. Paul Maurice is a more established veteran coach. Um, He's not a great one. Yeah, I guess. They, but they just felt that because remember, Burnett took over for Quenville, and I guess maybe 
the situation where they knew Burnett wasn't going to be their guy going forward and they saw a chance to make a switch and they did. Um, but actually, uh, this thanks. Question. Thought thought he was, but I I so wasn't he in the news recently? He got he got like, a DWI. I think yeah, he's been away yeah, from the team yeah, since then. Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't really. I I don't have any issues with the move they made personally. I I do have to question it because, and I think we had the conversation about this last year that they could stay with him. Only if they're willing to kind of fall back a little bit. If your goal was to win the Stanley Cup, you might need a veteran coach. I don't think Paul Maurice was the answer on that either. It's just, uh, it's it's just I can't help but look at this and, and just say, if you went forward with them and you didn't win the cup, then I think you could go forward with them and maybe you learned more on another <coughs> year. I know a lot of guys are saying I'm perfectly fine with moving on from Brad and Truba. Truba's not going anywhere until 2024, guys. That's that's kind of what that's going to be. And also, um, I, I just don't see Artemi Panarin doing it because the way that I'll say this, this guy came to a rebuilding team. Now this team has a shot to win the cup. He's not leaving. Good luck trying, good luck trying to get rid of him. And buying him out would be even worse. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't... They could try to move him. Um, the thing is... I don't know how many teams can one take on his his cap hit at eleven, and the ones that can, he probably has no interest in going to, um, you know. And if you, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, like, I don't know. They, the Rangers have to jump through a lot of hoops to make that happen. First, getting him to waive his no movement clause, um, and then you know, could you know constructing a deal with that team and the pieces going back and forth, it would be a complicated move. And that's why one of the reasons I don't, I mean, I, I think they should explore it if they lose. Cause again, it's too, you know, Panarin's proving not to really be a playoff performer. Um, but I, I, I would be surprised if it actually happened. I repeat, if I was on a team and you're going to blame me for the reason why they're not winning the Stanley cup. And also if he wants out, that's going to be even more catastrophic because you look at the return you got for Patrick Kane. Now, granted, I'm talking about a pending free agent versus a guy that's uh, under contract for three more seasons. And it's <coughs> and a 90-point scorer everywhere that he's went. I don't, I don't know about this. I just don't know. And, uh, I mean, there is... I'm not looking forward to the Rangers offseason because I think that they're going to have to answer some difficult questions. If they're if they're all holding a Stanley Cup, that's fine. But those questions aren't going to get any better because then you have to ask, do you, can you keep either Tarasenko or Panarin? I still think both of them are going to look for one more payday. Uh, I I side with Kane as the other one. And and yes, Tarasenko could stay with a team-friendly deal. Johnny Red was just asking. Uh, I was shocked a bit when – sorry. uh, No, where was this one? Do you think that the Rangers bridge Miller and Lafayette for how much? And I'm going to say that those contracts come in under $4 million, both of them. Uh, I, I'll say Lafreniere might get to 2.5. Give him the Kako contract. You bridge him for two years. You get out from one of those two deals next year. And uh, again, Brendan Ottman's coming next year. That that's that's going to happen. 
So I, I wouldn't exactly uh, do that. But again, Everest, I understand what you're saying too. Public embarrassment, but then because these guys have no move clauses and you have to pay them so much, they can just end up saying, fuck you. Uh, I'm going to stay. I want to stay. This is where my, my kids are going to school or, or anything else. You want to embarrass me? Then you're going to have to embarrass me an awful lot. And the Rangers aren't that type of organization that they're going to embarrass somebody. I, I, I just don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, what do you think of that one, Anthony? Again, Sullivan's not available. Sullivan, Sullivan's still the coach of the Penguins. Um, if they planned on making a move at the head coach, he would he would have been let go along with Hextall. So um, I don't see Sullivan being available. Obviously, Laviolette is. Um, and I think Laviolette's a hell of a coach. Yeah, I think if the Rangers were to make a coach court? move, I think he's I think he's the easy choice for sure. I I I love I love uh, Peter Laviolette. It's it's just I, I don't know if the Rangers swap out coaches and because there's going to be heat on Gerard Gallant. That seat's starting to get a little bit warm. Now, I was calling for his head when the Rangers were in no shows in early December. And they looked like they were dead. Then they end up having the pivotal game against the Devils. First against St. Louis, then against the Devils. And they actually came back to life. This time around, um. I, I I think I think it, it could happen, but uh, yeah. Well, just me. The uh, that might go back to him when he was a Rangers draft pick. He only played eleven games in his career, and I believe they were all with the Rangers. Uh, he didn't get to do too many things, but yeah, uh, I just uh, I think Mike Sullivan is the guy the organization would want to go get because they're familiar with him. If he was available and I it's, it's not a definite yet. I still think he's going to be available. So I think, I think the Rangers end up sticking with Gallant no matter what happens. I disagree. Right. I don't, I don't think he's going to be available. They would have, they would have fired him already. And he, they, well, they don't hire the new GM yet. Yeah, I know that, but I, so, he's still, uh, you fire, you fire him with Hextall and then you let the new GM search for his coach. No, no, you don't do that, and that's not how that's not how it's happened with other teams. It's that's not always the case. I think you're being a little too presumptuous there. Um, sometimes the general manager is going to want to come in, and not only that, but sometimes the clubs will turn around and they'll give the general manager the option, especially if it's a well-established and a winner like Sullivan. Like if this was somebody who won zero Stanley Cups with them. Then I would I could see them being like, okay, yeah, we're just going to get rid of you, and we're just going to let our general manager come in, new general manager come in, and and do something. I I would see why you would think they were safe, but Sullivan's won their last two Stanley Cups. Two out of their five cups have come with Sullivan, and they came in a two year span. And you know what? Yeah, you could say, oh, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, you know, yeah, they he had the talent, whatever. But Sullivan's also done wonders with them with a limited roster. So, yep. um. I I would not think it would be wise to fire Sullivan. I think it would be wise for them to hold on to him. Although I'm kind of hoping that regardless they, they fire him and that regardless of what happens this year with the Rangers, that the Rangers go and get Sullivan. Because I, I, I think Sullivan, pound for pound, is one of the, I would say, the three to five best coaches in the league. 
I think he's and that good. Cora just brought it up that he re-signed Sullivan to a five-year deal last year that they extended him. Uh, I believe that might be the case, but um, I coaches have gotten canned early into extensions before it happens. And then what they do is then they reassign him, and then he goes somewhere else, and they get draft compensation. Yeah, that's usually the other happens. thing. So uh, I mean that that happens. Yeah, I mean this is this is a quagmire that the Rangers are in right now. If they do not advance past the New Jersey Devils, once again, everybody, make sure you're leaving a like. We got 20 of you, uh, 20, 80 of you watching right now. Uh, you know, the effort we always throw in here, especially when things are spelled right. Uh, yeah. Please like, share, and subscribe, um, especially so this way we can all make fun of Mark more and, you know, because of his spelling mistakes and, and everything like that. Well, so if I, it, if we get bigger, I can get an assistant. So, <laughs> and then they can make all the mistakes and blame them. Uh, Cora, Cora just said this one. I just, I didn't see this staple article. I just hope the staple article isn't true with them potentially hiring Coach Q. Um, I, I don't like how he knew about the whole Kyle Beach incident and did nothing about it. I don't. I, I, I think he's a terrible human being for it. Um, I would not be happy with that hire um, in terms of him as a person. He's a great coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach based on body of work. But what he did is just, it's pretty much unforgivable for me. And I, I mean, I know that people deserve second chances, and I, I am a firm believer in that. But, I mean, how do you determine? Yeah, he also hasn't been reinstated by the league. So, um, I I would just, I would hold off on that. Um, and I personally don't know how long I feel he should be out for until he gets another chance, if he should ever get another chance. I, I just, don't think that there's any number to say when he yeah. should be out for or it, anything it's else. Tough. Because I, I understand a little bit of his mentality, but again, what I keep going back to, Phil, because what I said before, that matter is above your pay grade. If you're telling me something happened with a player and they came out with that accusation, you don't mess around. You go right to authorities and not just and not just say, well, the video review coach or a conditioning coach, whatever the hell he was. Yeah, I, I, I listen. I, I totally agree that that's something that police should be involved in. Like any type of sexual harassment in any type of office is. It just that's when you start filing police reports. It, you, it, it just he covered it for a very long time. Uh, I mean, the whole organization did. So it's not like he was the only one that was covering it. But you know. If you know about something like that, yeah, that's just – it's reprehensible and deranged to cover something like that, especially for – and, and, and it doesn't matter who it's for, but, like, a video review coach. like Yeah. Talking uh, about the most expendable person on the team. That's – Like, I, not, not that I condone it, but, like, if it was one of the players, then especially, like, a star player – 
then I would see why they would be doing it, even though, again, I don't condone it. I just, it, 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 it makes more sense as to why they would do that at that point. But for someone so low on the totem pole, but I mean, I, I'm just going to cut myself off there because this, this yeah, because we also want we also don't want to get too far into that because we just we just we don't cover that ad nauseum and it's just it's 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 a terrible situation and thankfully justice was dealt and hopefully Kyle Beach can live a normal life because yeah. that's just it's terrible thinking about that that these guys were still out there for ten plus years after this all happened. So, and that they let it go on to somebody else. Yeah, that, that and then that, that the yeah, that afterwards with the middle school team or, or um, what happened with that? That was just how do you recommend that guy? How do you? No, you you don't. That's it's just that simple. Yeah, but you, you I, don't. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Johnny's comment here. I mean, if your team has a bunch of mentally soft players, yeah, and that's kind of what I was alluding to before, Johnny. Like you you, I mean, you're right in a sense that it might not matter but you're also wrong in the sense that a hard ass like a keenan or someone like that or tortorella can't help whip those guys into shape and if you ever watched the road to victory the 1994 stanley cup video for the rangers all the commentary about keenan coming in after roger nielsen got fired it was like oh god here comes the Black Plague. Here comes death himself, Mike Keenan, because he was the death of all of the fun and all the hands, you know, hands off. Because that's how Nielsen was his coach. He was a player's mm-hmm. coach. Everybody loved Roger Nielsen. Everybody loved him. All of his stops, including his last stop in Philadelphia, he was loved. Um, but you cannot. And I mean, you cannot sit there and and say that a, a disciplinarian like Keenan wouldn't help with a leadership group like this that seems to be very, very soft. I just don't know where the disciplinarian is anymore. They're not bringing back John Tortorella. That's for sure. No, he's with Philly. Um, he's already been fired twice from them, so that's, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, not renewed one time, I believe, and fired the second time. But, I mean, it's just uh, – I also look at teams like, say, for instance, in the 2006 Carolina Hurricanes weren't exactly the most mentally strong team. I mean, you had Brendan Moore. You had Glenn Wesley, uh, Mark Recchi. I mean, Doug Waite was on that team. Yeah, I was about to say, they had a good veteran group. And Recchi was a proven winner. Yeah. Recchi had won a Stanley Cup in 91 with Pittsburgh. He was a winner. Um, Which people forget, he didn't. He wasn't there for two of them. No, he, he wasn't the there for the second one. He was traded for Rick Tockett at the '92 deadline. Um, but he was. I mean, it, that's the thing. It's just you, you. You had Carolina had guys like Glenn Wesley had been through wars. Rod mm-hmm. Brindamore had been to a Stanley Cup final. Uh, Corey Stillman. Um, he didn't win with Tampa. No, actually, I think he did win with Tampa in 24. It was Vaclav Prospel, Vinny Prospel, who missed that team. Yeah. So yeah. Corey Stillman won in 2004 with Tampa and then followed the cup the next year with Carolina. 
he was aware, and he was a big part of both of those teams. Corey Stillman, he had 80 points for the 04 uh, Lightning. Then he had 76, and he had 26 points in 25 games for the, the 2006 Carolina Hurricanes. Doug Waite had, had been through wars in the playoffs. Never went to a Stanley Cup final before that. But, you know, they they had some good players. They, did. they had some good players, but never guys that got over the hump. Yeah. And they had a stronger leadership group. Like Aaron Ward, he won multiple Stanley Cups in Detroit. So forget about, but you do have to think, and we said it before when we did the final buzzer last Thursday, Andre Palat's over there giving his veteran advice that um, Lindy Ruff was definitely trying to figure out ways to break the Rangers defensively. And it looks like he did. And yes, he is a good coach. Um, But now it's Galan's turn. Now you have to make the adjustments right back. It's the Rangers locker room turn. Their experience has to show both from the team that was there last year. And you add on four Stanley cups with Kane and Tarasenko. Um, you know, and I, I, I wonder if he's going to go with the Zabanajad Panarin Tarasenko line tomorrow night. Cause they did that for a little bit and it worked. And then it uh, didn't, and then he switched it back. But lines in practice were Savannah, Jad, Kane, Kreider, um, Panarin, Tarasenko, Trocek, kids, and then fourth line. <laughs> uh, I can't see exactly what that comment is right there from Facebook, but uh, I, I think it's Spaceballs. Right? Yeah, it's the Spaceballs one. <laughs> um, I think that has something to do with me saying I'm surrounded by Ajo's. Uh, <laughs> earlier on in the, uh, in the that chat. Is, that's a good one though um and no they're never a lucky team unfortunately johnny you're right about that never mind since 1962 you always you go back in i think andy bathgate was still there in 62 i'm not sure at the moment Bathgate was definitely there in 62 yeah all right worsley was gone i think around 63 where they promptly won the cup after they traded him so I mean it's it's just they're they're not exactly a lucky team, but uh, things can go right, and I think I do think if the Rangers win this, win or win or lose, this might be going seven. I think it's very likely going seven. Yeah, Bathgate got traded in the '64 season to um, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, yeah. And his career uh, wasn't the same after that. After he left New York, he was just never the same player. He was a hell of a player. Yeah, he was. He was a hell uh, MVP, of a player. Hart, Hart Trophy winner in uh, 59, 40 goals and 88 points. That was a huge season for a 70-game season back then. And for a guy yeah. to do that with the Rangers that didn't have the talent, say, for instance, Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Maple Leafs. No. Yeah, the recruiting rule was still in full effect back then. Yeah. the There were the homestead rules. And, and the you know, it, it, if you look at this team, I mean, all right, so – Red and by Sullivan. the way, Phil, they're asking right here. Uh, Bathgate won the cup in '67 with Toronto, the last pre-expansion cup. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So Toronto, the this the '66 '67 um, cup was the last pre-expansion cup. The um, 
the expansion class happened in, in 67, 68. That was their first year. And that's when the scoring started going up big time because these teams were – the original six were punching holes basically in the expansion teams. And St. Louis made the Stanley Cup Finals three years in a row because they were a Scotty Bowman coach team. And mm-hmm. you know, they, were, they were the best team in the expansion group at the time. And uh, I believe the captain on that team was Al Arbor. That's correct. So, yeah, I would have to say probably the um, Johnny for you, your your young heart was probably broken worse when John Rattel broke his leg. Because John Rattel, seventy two, yeah, seventy two, Rangers probably win. All right, well, I lost Filk right there. So I don't think that there's going to be much more that's going to go out of tonight. Uh, unless I get him back in a minute. Let me just riff for a minute. So I still got you guys. Once again, check out SeatGeek. If you guys are going to the game or any game, go, go for the Mets, go for everything. Uh, he's done. Uh, yeah, the Middleton for Hodge trade is still one that's going to go down very much as one of the worst trades in New York Ranger history. Uh, for my life, it's still going to be Sergey Zubov for, uh, Phil gets back on. So we're still, we're going to stay on with this. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to wrap it up in a, in a little bit. Um, Mark, you, there you go. It's about to say, no, yeah, I got, I got kicked there for some weird reason. That was, that was really weird. Um, yeah. All yeah, good. They, uh, but yeah, you can Rattel win in spite of a shitty coach. Uh, take, for instance, Bob Hartley has a Stanley Cup. What has he done? I mean, yeah. That, well, that, all right. So that team was just super, super talented. And the, the craziest part about that is, is that if, if things would have been just a little differently – that team could have also had Sandy's Ozilinch on defense with Blake, Bork, and Foot. Wow. Yeah. And, and just remember this a 39 slash 40 year old Raymond Bork put up 59 points in his final year with Colorado and finished as the runner up behind Nicholas Lidstrom in the Norris Trophy voting that year. Yep. That's how stacked that Colorado team was. That Colorado team from top to bottom was and that's why they won the president's trophy and the Stanley cup is real quick. Cause uh, we are, we're going to cut this off definitely before eight o'clock. Um, yeah. Who's the second best defenseman of all time, in your opinion? Ray Bork. Uh, and in that, case, I, I, in that um, case, who's three Nicholas Lindstrom. All right. Is the gap that big? No, it's not. A, it's not a big gap. It, it, it's, it's, I would say it's significant for me, and I'll say this. So, um, Bork, for me, is I have him higher than Lindstrom because Bork won five Norris trophies in the greatest era of defensemen that we will probably ever see. If you look at all the Norris winners during like the 80s into the 90s, you're looking at a Hall of Fame lineup. He had to deal with guys like, uh, I mean, he he 
he didn't win until like pot band was really like out of the league completely at that point. But Bork had to deal with guys like Paul Coffey, who won a few in the eighties. Um, he had to deal with Brian Leach. He had to deal with Al McInnes, Gary Suter, Chris Chelios, Rob Blake himself, obviously in the nineties. I mean, Blake mm-hmm. won in 98. Uh, I mean, Larry Murphy, was always somebody that was up for the Norris Trophy. He was great, probably you know, at some point, maybe in the early 90s with Pittsburgh, you could have said that he could have won one. Um, but, I mean, Scott Stevens in the 80s. Uh, Scott Stevens up until 94 was an offensive powerhouse. People don't realize that. Scott you Stevens know. sort of pulled what um, what happened usually with Madonna and Iserman, sacrifice offense for defense. I mean, and you saw the results. Yeah, and, and Madano, the, the crazy part about Madano and Eiserman is that they didn't fall off much offensively by doing so. I, I mean, Eiserman won a Selkie as a point-per-game player, albeit it was under 80 points. He was, he was still a point-per-game player when he won a Selkie in 2000. Um, you know, Stevens, the, the drop-off from 78 points in 94 and being the Norris runner-up that year to Bork, and then from never hitting, I believe, above 35, I think, after that is just insane to think about. But Jock Lemaire was a big reason as to why that happened. And then by the time that Jock Lemaire wasn't in the picture anymore and it was Robbie Fitorek and Larry Robinson, you know, his prime years offensively had passed. He was a defensive guy and still a damn good one at that. But just I mean, to say, a- go ahead. You, we might be highlighting the same one. There we go. Yeah. You, you first. Well, I, I'll, I'll say this. Bork had to deal with Parks like later runs in his career. Like if, if you look at the list of Norris Trophy winners and, you know, and, and all the voting in Norris Trophy from each year, I mean, you're, you're going to go back to. So here, I'll, I've actually just pulled it up on, on hockey. Well, let me just say this for Brad Park. Number two has got to be the theme of his career. Yeah. Because his jersey number was number two. He finished runner-up constantly to Ray Bork. And all-time in New York Rangers history, he is now the second-best defenseman ever to play for them. Yeah. And it was just he, – he finished runner-up to guys like Orr, Potvin, Robinson. Uh, I mean – Park had a had a, a career that spanned into the early '80s. He was he was great, but I mean, oof. I mean, you look at the the list of Norris winners during Bork's years early on. So Bork's first season, Robinson won his last Norris. Then it was Randy Carlisle had that crazy point year in Pittsburgh. He was basically their number two scorer behind Rick Kehoe. They had like a fifty five goal year that year. Doug Wilson in '82 for Chicago. And Doug Wilson, you could argue, I mean, you could make a case for him being in the Hall of Fame, but I mean, I, 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 I mean, he is in the Hall of Fame, I should say, I'm sorry, but um, Doug Wilson is, you know, he was one of the better defensemen of that generation, but not the greatest. Rod Langway, who is in the Hall of Fame, won two Norris trophies and didn't even score above 35 points in either season. And then you have Coffee, who won the next two after Langway. And then 
Bork, who won two. Chelios won in 89 in Montreal. That was his first of three. And then Bork won the next two. Leach won his first. Chelios, Bork, Coffee, Chelios. Like, look at that lineup. Lindstrom. Yeah, made- you're going you're gonna to go through the 90s. That is uh, that is a hell of a run of defensemen. Okay, so, so Lindstrom didn't win his first until he was 30 years old in 2001. That was Bork's last season. Leach led all defensemen in scoring that year with 78 points. Um, 79 points, I should say. I'm sorry. Is that the year, by the way, that he played the Lightning and he broke his arm and he didn't want to tell anybody about it? Who? Brian Leach. You know that story? He played the Lightning. It was Messier's first year back in New York. But it was, uh, but Leach, they were playing the Lightning. Leach blocks a shot. And then he barely touches the puck the next two shifts. And I think it was finally, uh, I want to say it was Ron Lowe walks up to him and just says, you break your arm on that? Yeah, I didn't want to tell anybody. I, You know what? I never heard that story, but it wouldn't surprise wow. me. Yeah. Yeah, because Le- Leach had, I mean, I remember Leach blocked a shot and I believe broke his ankle. And I remember him, play, I think it was in 03, I think it was when he did it. I think it was against Buffalo. He, he blocked a shot and broke his ankle and tried to come back and play on a broken ankle. Um, so, I mean, Leach was just somebody who, who just knew how to play through injuries and play through pain. But, um, yeah, so the the 2000s, though, was really, like, lit. so I want to, I want to highlight the, the voting itself for, like, each of these seasons and you'll you'll get a grip as to what i'm like going through so yeah go into um go into the uh the share screen uh how do i do that uh go to share uh go to pre- uh present or present i should say present <laughs> present <laughs> it's been a long day guys uh, a long share day. okay Okay. Uh, and it you should say window or tab. Just usually do a tab. It's easier. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I could take that from here. Then I'll just go to add to stream, and then I'll bring that up right away. Okay. So let's do. All right. So trying to go to Lidstrom. But it, 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 to me, it's it's the difference in quality of competition. So Lidstrom was the Norris runner-up in 2000 to Pronger. He was the Norris mm-hmm. runner-up for three years before that. So they, they recognize his greatness. But, it, I mean, let's see here. The voting. It's bringing me back to the screen. Where is the screen with the voting? Okay, there it is. Yeah, so now you can go uh, award by award. Okay, so 2002, his runner-up was his 40-year-old Chris Chelios teammate, and then Rob I believe Blake. it was his defense partner. Yeah, it was his defense partner, and they were the President's Trophy winner, Cup winner that year, that crazy nine Hall of Fame Hall of Famer team that they had. Um, and then the next year, 2003. I mean, you go you go down, and you look at some of these guys that are competing with him. McGinnis, 39 years old. Darian Hatcher, Sergey Gonchar. Uh, Rob Blake still 
technically exiting his prime years. Ed Jovanovsky is a bit of a surprise because Jovanovsky in 2003, 2004, those, those pre 04, 05 lockout, those couple of years in Vancouver, he was really good. I watched yeah. a lot of Vancouver and he was, he was really good offensively. He just was not a great defensive defenseman. Okay. So then Chara in 04, he, this is where Chara is really starting to break out. Pronger, he was healthy in 04 with St. Louis. Brian McCabe, Adrian O'Coin. And then Lidstrom didn't win it that year. He was six in voting, but Niedermeyer won it because, you know, the, the Devils were really not a great team in 04. Stevens um, missed actually almost all that year and then basically retired. I actually then, saw Merrick Malik was in the Norris Trophy voting. Yeah, he led the NHL plus minus in 03 04. Mm. Yeah. That's how you, you when you when everybody wants a point to pull up plus minus, just say Merrick Malik led in one year. And then look, you know, Scott Niedermeyer, 33, Lindstrom, 36. It's funny that Niedermeyer is actually younger than Lindstrom. Pronger with Anaheim. I mean, Dan Dan Boyle, Kima Timonen. I mean, these are not quality names that he was he was winning the Norris trophy over, you know? That you know I, what you actually might convince me to move to move it down. I just think his his numbers he always was he was always just the best defenseman in the league. But you know what? All right, I'm gonna have to go bork over him. I mean I, I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. That's just my that's just my perspective on it. I mean, it just, who was his competition? Like McInnes was out of his prime. Chelios was out of his prime. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and there's just not a lot of quality Hall of Fame defensive, like Zidane Chara, okay. And then in his in his later years, Lidstrom, what, Shea Weber? I mean, yeah. I mean, it just, to me, Bork, Bork winning five in that generation of defensemen is more impressive than Lidstrom winning uh, six and seven years. I mean, I'm sorry. It just, it is for me. All right. Well, like I said, because uh, I got a friend of mine, my friend John, who runs all things Islanders. He keeps yelling at me because I was steadfast on Lidstrom. But you know what? We just broke that down. It, I got I to gotta go. I got to go with uh, Lidstrom after Bork. And so the best two all time were basically Bruins. And then the, yeah, the one that impresses me with Lidstrom was his, his 20, his final one, his 2011 one. Like he was still that dominant at age 40 and scored 60 points and won the Norris trophy. Like just still that good of a two way defenseman at that age. Uh, that one impresses me more than any of his other ones. By the way, I hope Anthony is still listening right now. Anthony, give me an indication. I forgot I had a trivia question for you, but I'll give you one to Philk right now for this one. Um, everybody remembers Merrick Malik and the shootout goal, as Dave brought it up right here. NHL shootout legend Merrick Malik. I think I might know what question you're about to ask. He scored the game-winning goal. The Rangers had to tie that shootout. I know exactly who scored scored this. Who scored the game-tying goal? The same guy who scored the very first goal that season, Jason Strudwick. Yep. Do you remember who put the Capitals ahead 
before so struggle had to tie it i forget completely name that not many people are going to remember but brian muir <laughs> yeah i don't i don't remember ryan muir i can tell you that ryan. i know it yeah but either either way i still don't remember see i didn't even remember it right now Oh, yeah. uh, the um, question I actually had for Anthony. Let's see if he's still listening right now. And let's see if you could get this, Phil. In 2016, the Islanders beat the Florida Panthers behind three overtime game winners. What three players scored those overtime winning goals? Tavares had the serious winner. That I know. That is correct. Um, I don't remember the other two. See, I forgot to ask Anthony. Oh, and Anthony just... Gave that <laughs> he just left. Oh, he probably left because I said Paris. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Oh wait, uh, I do have. I do have. That's I another. Uh, I've actually got to go because my food just got here. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll give you the other two. You ready? Yeah. Thomas. Uh, sorry, Hickey. It is Thomas Hickey, right? Yeah. Yeah, Thomas. And in Game Five, Alan Quine. Oh, God, I do remember that now because I remember saying that Florida let him score a goal. And, yeah, and also, by right. the way, when it comes to the various Islander fans, we do not speak his name. Yeah. And there we go. All, right, all so right. I'm out. I will see you all later. Take care. Yeah, go on out. And going to play the play bye-bye. Go get your food, Philk. All right. I actually, I'm going to be getting dinner myself shortly and uh, get going. I got a long day of golf tomorrow. These new lights. I kind of like these new lights. I think they're actually working pretty good. Uh, thanks, everybody, again for joining us. 26 of you guys are still here with us. We babbled on some nonsense. I didn't even see what the, what the score is in Florida right now. It's still one nothing, Panthers. And... Um, uh, lastly, also, I keep saying it all the time. I got 26 of you right now. Make sure you're leaving us a like, please. Because uh, we desperately need to appease the algorithm. All right. Everybody, thanks very much. Uh, one way or another, we're going to do a post-game show tomorrow night, whether or not it's a, a final buzzer or it's going to be just a 60-second game review. Uh Hopefully I'm not drunk because I'm disappointed. Hopefully I'm drunk because I'm happy. We'll go with that one. All right. Everybody, thank you very much for joining us for Big Apple Hockey today. And we will see you tomorrow.